Hi, this is Gillian Riley and Jen Warren. Courageous Conversations is a series exploring the art of showing up authentically in our everyday spaces. And welcome to season two. In our first episode, we're speaking with an entrepreneur and fashion designer, Tamburai Chirume, of One of Each, a mother and daughter design duo based in Cape Town, South Africa. Join us as Jillian speaks with Tom Barai about growing up an outsider in a country fraught with inequality and how that's shaped Tom Barai to become the troublemaker that she is today. Tom Barai, thank you so much for agreeing to chat to me today. It's exciting to be able to talk to you not just about your work and your incredible business, one of each, but about the personal journey that has led you to the place that you're in right now. Thank you for creating a safe space of troublemaking. I think it's important for us to be able to share these stories and let people know that it's possible. Possibilities are endless in life, even if you're a troublemaker. <laughs> <laughs> you're a maker of beautiful things, and for a lot of people that wouldn't you wouldn't be a troublemaker, you'd just be a designer. That is very true. It also goes beyond the designing part because sometimes you need to step out of the design part too. Yeah, it's, it's a very... It's, I think this is the right time for this interview, <laughs> to be honest, for this conversation because I'm in a different place, you know, and also just gathering everything in yeah. terms of the insider-outsider and how... It's affecting my life right now. You know, as I'm getting older, you know, it's quite like a complex time. <laughs> this isn't just about you, the professional Tamburai. This is about you as a person who's walked this journey of creating this business and this beautiful contribution. And what has that taken? You know, when you're a businesswoman, you have to be, you have to appear to always be okay. Yes. <laughs> but most of the time, you're not. <laughs> yes. And what I've also discovered is that a lot of us experience same, similar things. A lot of the other women that I speak to who are also in the design field have built their business. There's a lot of things that one is going through as a woman. Just besides the whole business thing, you have your own self and your own life to deal with. But regardless, you need to just move on. <laughs> Let's kind of start from the beginning. And I want to talk to you about whether you actually do consider yourself a troublemaker. When you hear that word, do you recognize yourself in it? Uh, you know, these words have been coming up like disruption and all that kind of thing. But then troublemaker sounded more appropriate. <laughs> You're afraid to say it, but yes, I am actually a troublemaker. I feel like most of my life I've been, but in quite a positive way, you know, to impact other people's lives and my own life as well. And not just accepting things in a way where I've always known that at the end, something will come out. You don't, I feel, have to be a troublemaker in a sense that you act immediately or are aggressive, but the end results just show that your patience turns into troublemaking. You're led by a sense of purpose or a sense of what it is you want to achieve. You aren't just disrupting for the sake of disruption or challenging for the sake of sticking your finger in the air to the powers that be it's for a purpose exactly and I think most of the time when you are that troublemaker you're probably somebody who considers people more than anything else 
And I'm sitting here nodding my head and I agree with you completely and yet what you're describing is in many ways the opposite of what people think of when you say the word troublemaker. They think of a selfish, brash, aggressive, in-your-face disruptor, you know, somebody who just angers people for the sake of it. And what you're describing is something completely different than that, really. Yeah. You know, there's a lot of energy in, in it. If you, It's taking me back how I started from young childhood, actually. Only later do you discover that you're a troublemaker. For me, that's when it actually makes sense. But all along, this is just me living my life and knowing strongly what I want. In so many of the interviews or the discussions I've had with troublemakers, they say, we say, I've always been this way. Yes. If I think about it, I've been this way since I was a child. Tell me about an experience, a childhood memory you have of troublemaking that makes you say, all right, I've actually been doing this my whole life. My two experiences are quite interesting. So when I was in high school, I went to a very racist high school mm. um, where I literally had no friends throughout from standard six to matric because the environment that it was, we had moved and my brother and I were sort of like the first black kids there. And my brother was a troublemaker, but in a very aggressive way where if he didn't want something, he would say, I'm not going to do this. So every morning I would wake up and actually cry because I, I didn't want to be at that school. But then I decided, you know, I'll endure this. I'll take it in. I don't know where it's going to lead me. And I don't know what this means, but I always cared what people thought. It took a really long time for me to actually decide that I was happy with who I am. And just that idea of what do people think. Being at school where you constantly had to try and fit in. Eventually, I actually gave up. I was just like, I'm not going to try. <laughs> not because I had the confidence to feel that I don't need to, but it was just too much energy. It made much more sense for me at break time to go sit in the library alone. And I think today that has helped me so much. I can go into any environment and not feel like I need to fit in. That desire, that need to be accepted mm. and approved of, is such a core human desire. I mean, we all want that. We all want approval. We all want acceptance. And I actually think from the work that I've done with this that that is one of the biggest barriers for people in speaking up, in disagreeing, or in sharing their deepest, wildest ideas. What if nobody likes it? What if somebody thinks I'm crazy? What if, what if I don't fit in? That blocks many of us from sharing some of the best parts of ourselves. And it's amazing as you describe what happens when you, over time, learn that not being accepted is okay, I can carry on. But it sounds like your formative years were critical in helping you to develop the skills and the, the muscles, if you will, to deal with rejection, alienation, isolation. Yeah. When I went to university, I studied for about three years, and I always knew I wanted to be an entrepreneur, and I had this hunger to start my own business. And half the time when I was at university, I was selling things. So my troublemaker-ness came out when I said to my dad in third year, I'm not going back to university, I'm going to start my own business. 
and he couldn't believe it. I think it was just all that patience and that endurance. It gave me the confidence to actually realize that this is what I want to do and I feel that I shouldn't endure anymore. This is the right time and people sort of appreciated me in what I was doing. As you're describing those years of being good and doing what was expected led to this moment of saying, no more. It's time now. It's time for me to go out into the world and explore my own interests and my own passions. So I think it's interesting for women who are almost conditioned to, to be the good girl, the overachiever. Exactly. And trying to sort of find your own self and your own voice within that set of expectations can be challenging and still is, even as a grown woman, it's still hard. That's so true. To find them. For me, that is when the troublemaking started. Obviously, after that, I was being judged, especially by family members. I was constantly under that pressure of, you should be in university. Are you crazy? Why are you starting a business? You don't even know anything. I was 21 at that age. But my mom was very supportive and she didn't let me take in what people said, you know. And I think that was very instrumental in allowing me to be the troublemaker that I am. She really was the force behind it. It started then and I just never stopped. After that, I had no breaks on doing what I felt. You've had various experiences of feeling like a little bit of an outsider looking in. And how many of us? in one way or another, have felt like outsiders in our lives, whether that's because we're from a different country or we're a different color or we're women in a men's world or whatever. We feel somehow outside and we're forced to put our heads down and just try and fit in or seek to challenge that environment in one way or another. I believe that's what has molded me today. It's actually inner diversity where you've been exposed to so much and then decide, okay, number one, I don't need to fit in. Number two, I'm perfect as I am. Number three, I don't need to be angry with my parents for deciding to move country and then I have to try and place myself. In fact, I am very grateful for that because I now understand people's differences and how people are because of their background and that kind of thing. So for me, the outsider-insider thing actually started as a child. We would go home over holidays, so we would go to Zim, and I struggled to fit in there as well. I was either too, what they would say, white to fit in to my own people, I was always judged, not in a negative way, but almost like, oh, she's the girl from Cape Town. But that's not who I am. So I found myself being young. You know, you want to fit in. I had two lives as a teenager. Why should I be accepted by another race or another culture if my own people actually don't even accept me? I think at the end of the day, the outsider-insider thing helped me because what I realized was Sometimes it's just about understanding each other. So maybe those children in high school were not necessarily discriminating me based on my race. It was just fear of what they were not used to or just didn't know. Because mm -hmm. if I went back to Zim as well and people couldn't understand me there, then who's going to understand you? You need to understand yourself first. So I think it's just really got to do with self-confidence, not allowing 
all those circumstances and everything that's happening around you to soak in and then start questioning yourself and start feeling that you're not good enough or you're not worthy. But at that time, you just don't understand what is going on and why. When I'm listening to you, I'm thinking about the extent to which that profound sense of being an outsider develops tremendous empathy. Because those people, as you say, maybe they just don't understand me. I'm trying to understand their reaction to me. I'm questioning my own reaction to them. And you develop this kind of heightened sense of humanity. We're all in our own ways trying to make sense of the other, of others. And maybe that's a natural human response to difference. It isn't about tamburi and it isn't about the color of tamburi skin. Maybe it's, I don't know you and I'm afraid of what happens when I try and reach across to difference. Like, what are my assumptions? What are my fears? What's happening when I find myself reacting in a certain way? It's like, what's going on? So you almost develop this heightened awareness of self and of others. It helps you survive. And also being aware of how you feel. It's a journey that never ends because I think as you grow up, it turns into anxiety. <laughs> you sort of ask yourself, where has the anxiety come from? And now I understand why I do have that in my life. You constantly have to deal with it and tell yourself that, you know, it's life. <laughs> Somebody said to me the other day, when something is flat, it's dead. But when it's up and down, it's alive. It's challenging when you are a troublemaker, an entrepreneur and a businesswoman because you have to always be okay. There is pressure of yourself dealing with who you are and then the business side because there's so many people that rely on you. Do you imagine that as a woman, as a female entrepreneur, you carry not an extra burden but a distinct one, one that is unique to the caring for others that you described, the awareness of others sometimes before yourself. Beside it being a thing around womanhood, I sort of reached a point where I had to understand that you need to take care of self first for you to be there for other people. There is that, I wouldn't call it a burden, because I really find joy in giving. I find joy in helping others. Wherever I go, I always find myself being like a counsellor of some sort. When I feel a bit heavy or when I have, you know, terrible anxiety and that kind of thing, I think that just happens because it's a part of me. It's really difficult. It's really, it's not easy. In 2014, I had really bad depression. And yes, you know, you have to sort of be okay with actually sharing that with people because even in African society, that's kind of like, what are you talking about? Are you crazy? It's not easy. What if you're not okay? I think a lot of us have a hard time not being okay. We're so hardwired to, it's fine, I'm okay, I'm okay, just push, push, keep going. And you're describing a life out on a limb, personally, emotionally. It's hard being out there for a long time. It's hard because when people see you, they're like, oh, you're doing so well. Yes, I am. But me and my business are two separate things. Yes. And that history that you carry with you, then later does affect you. It really, really does. I think it's a really important part of you as a person, which a lot of people don't want to express. 
And sometimes we put pressure on ourselves to think that we must always be okay. But I've learned now that if I'm not okay, I'm not okay. <laughs> you know, there's this whole rich emotional life that somehow we've decided is not fit for public consumption. I'm afraid, I'm scared, I'm sad, I'm worried, whether about my business or about my family. You know, those sets of emotions, which if you're going to do what you're doing, start a business in a, in a new field, not just, you know, start a business, but kind of really create a new space, you're going to be feeling all of those things regularly. And how do we normalize those so that they sit comfortably right beside I'm really excited, I'm feeling really positive, because they're all part of the same experience, and yet we feel like half of it isn't valid. You know, you wouldn't be where you are without the fear and the sadness. That's an integral part of your journey. Absolutely, and I also find that after everything, that work of the creativity and the people aspect is always what makes me feel really good. It's always the healer. I mean, you create beautiful things. You create beautiful bags and beautiful pieces of art. How does that make you a troublemaker? You're a designer, you're a, a fashionista. <laughs> um, those, again, aren't things that people necessarily associate with troublemaking. You're not an activist or a politician. How do you find your troublemaking self within the space of what you've just described as creativity and creating things for people. Creating beautiful product, it has the freedom, which is what I think everybody in life is looking for. Yeah. My mom always talks about the healing power of the colors of the fabric, because besides just being a woman, but being an African woman, there's just a lot of stress and trouble and <sighs> taking those colors and turning them into something really beautiful and selling it in spaces which probably an ordinary African girl would never have imagined to be selling her bags in the British Museum. I think that is part of troublemaking. That was a history that was things that just never happened. Being somebody who could potentially be a competitor to other luxury products, I think the vision when creating the product is what makes you that troublemaker. Because for me, when I look at our product, I want to be the next Chanel or the next mm. Louis Vuitton. That's what I feel when I see the product. And people could be like, you're crazy. But I see myself with a store in New York. Um, <laughs> but obviously, it is troublemaking because it's just not the norm. Through beauty and the creative arts, there is potential to unlock the norm, to just open doors that are usually closed and are supposed to remain closed. We're in such a state right now of anger and despair and what feels like we're not actually progressing, we're regressing. Perhaps the most disruptive thing we can do is to create beauty. And that beauty, if it becomes our focus, how does that start to restore our sense of possibility, which for a lot of us feels completely depleted? the possibility that through that it will lead us into places that perhaps historically we've been told we couldn't go. A girl from Zimbabwe doesn't belong in the British Museum. She can't have a shop in New York. Actually, you can. 
And through the creation of something beautiful, you're carving your way into unknown territory. That's true. Because mm. beauty has no language. Yes. Color, skin color, or insider, outsider. It really does break barriers. Even if we look at the world and we look at each other, you know, the value that each person has and the beauty that they have, if we could always try and look at the more positive side, I think there is the possibility of change. And that creativity is kind of the ultimate disruption because you're putting something brand new into the world. The world, in ways that are obvious and not, is then adjusting and reframing itself to receive those things. That, for me, is what troublemaking is about. It's continuing to believe in possibility and create it for yourself and for others and not accept that whatever is must always be. There's possibility out there. And that's why I think the creativity is so critical for us right now. One of my favorite sayings is that every new day brings about a new but unknown possibility. Mm -hmm. There are just so many possibilities and thinking from a troublemaker's perspective, just having that mind that can tell you that I can do it. Everybody's creative, I feel, in their own way. It's about you being able to unlock that creativity. You need to make a sacrifice. I think every good thing that ultimately happens comes with a lot of loss, a lot of hardship, a lot of pain, but at the end of the day brings you so much joy. A lot of us avoid pain at all costs, which is why we sit in the job that doesn't necessarily inspire us. We don't fully develop ourselves because we want to avoid the pain of possible failure or judgment. And yet, actually, it's that pain that, as you've just described, in ways that you can't anticipate might ultimately bring you your greatest joy. And the unwillingness to feel the pain is what keeps you stuck in an acceptable but not necessarily inspiring status quo. Between pain and pressure, that's why you hear the term struggling artist. That's also really a troublemaker thing to do, to decide that I will not go into a space I feel uncomfortable because I believe that I have the talent and I am a creative and I'll accept the fact that I can't fit in. Do you go in and fight the system or do you create your own new way? For a lot of people, it's a risk. For me, the biggest thing where I feel I've done well with has been no fear. Fear in terms of risk. I've never feared starting anything. I'm just like, let's do it. Because life is a risk anyway. I could mm. be walking across the road and get knocked over by a car. So why should I not put my ideas out there? And as you look ahead, if we talk about possibility, if we talk about where this journey of yours is going, what's the trajectory of your life and your own sense of possibility around being a creative African woman influencing this world? What do you see for yourself? What's your sense of hope right now? I think my sense of hope is that this all makes sense at the end. <laughs> yes. Ooh. I still feel like that. I just feel like all the steps that I've been taking in my life, the questions usually get answered. But right now I'm sitting in a space where I've done all this professional stuff, but now I'm just unlocking what about the me, the personal part of the womanhood, the normal life. I kind of feel a little bit, 
not pressured, but questioning myself because I've done all this professional work and I've been a troublemaker. Am I able to troublemake the real part of life, which is, you know, getting married or being, you know, mm. the, the things that are expected of an African woman, the things that are non-business that we never talk about. Those thoughts have been with me in a very strange way because growing up, I wasn't that girl who dreamt of a wedding dress. Not at all. It never crossed my mind. But I'm like, okay, I'm asking myself these questions now. What about my actual life? Stepping away from the business. You know, where is that going? It's easy for me to see possibilities in business, but it's harder to see those other possibilities. <laughs> I always hope for good. I know I always put good out there for others. So I believe that good would come for me. And yeah, I'm positive. For many of us who've spent a good portion of our lives trying to create something professionally or nurturing our public selves, the private self has been neglected or not as developed or not as attended to. And we find ourselves kind of saying, I know for myself, the hardest work I have to do is in my own relationships with my loved ones, with my family. There's this very intimate thing around showing up with the people who love you or who you want to love you that I think is, for a lot of us, the last frontier. <laughs> it's the harder part. <laughs> it's very hard because there's a lot at stake there in that core sense of acceptance. Exactly. I think that's where it sits most profoundly. It's hard. And it's hard for women right now, I think, who are trying to succeed professionally and trying to still have something valuable for themselves at home, if you will. It's very interesting because it all links together. It's all part of who you are at the end of the day. Sure. The number of women who are like you have reached a point in their careers where they're feeling satisfied with the progress. I'm in a good place. I'm going in the direction that I need to go. And yet I sit and I look at my private life and I say, hmm, <laughs> have I spent enough time on that? And do I want to? Because there's a degree of vulnerability there that's really challenging. That's what Sex in the City was all about, right? Yes, I think I need to watch that again. Yeah. And they were talking about the right things, you know, it's... No, but you know, like, it's just been that where I didn't know that it would reach the stage, but I'm also getting tired of people knowing me as one of each. Mm. I would like to meet somebody and actually have a normal conversation of them asking me how am I as a person and yeah. not always how is the business and how is... You know, they think it's like life in the fab lane. <laughs> right. They think it's glamorous, yet it's actually not glamorous at all. <laughs> you know, it's a lot of carrying stuff and, you know. So it's just nice to sometimes have a conversation. You must know that's a sign of your success. The fact that you are synonymous with this beautiful brand. It's a price you pay for having created something that is in its own way iconic and connected to you. Because I don't think most people talk about work or what they do at all. So I think it's a level of respect for what you've done. And, you know, maybe what you're saying is you've gotten it there and you need to do the, the work of sort of shifting the focus, broadening the focus. I'm generally about other people. I'd like to know how you are doing yes. and 
how are things in your life? You know, so when you ask me about like, oh, okay, one of you, then it, the conversation becomes about me. Listening to you is making me think about this issue of empathy more in, in a different way because I've always thought put empathy right in the middle of troublemaking because you actually have to have this heightened awareness of the other in order to, with them, create something new. You know, if you just lock them in their place and you get locked in your place, then you can't create anything new. But I almost wonder if that very heightened empathetic impulse <laughs> isn't central to this. It is the thing that allows you to come out and connect and make new and different connections. That's very true. Which I've known, but listening to you, it's like, wow, yeah, that, that's led you. To be honest, the relationship building has really been very instrumental in my journey as a person more than anything else. Yeah, and again, that's not something that people associate with troublemaking. What you're describing is something that's much more about doing what it takes to create something with and for others, which, again, if we come back to Roli Tlatla, yes, is what I think inspired people about him was that it wasn't just personal glory. It was a vision to create something that led him. Absolutely. Thank you for following our podcast, Courageous Conversations. We hope you enjoyed our interview with Tom Barai, and thank you for listening and sticking with us as we took some time off to develop new content for this season. We're working with a funding partner, and we have some really exciting episodes in store, so please stay tuned.